Welcome to the Exit Strategy, your no bullshit guide to divorce with the experienced attorneys from New Direction Family Law and guests that have been there. Unfiltered discussions to help you move from victim to victorious and from bitter to better. Hi everyone, it's Elizabeth Stevenson. And I'm Sarah Hink. We're the partners and attorneys at New Direction Family Law. So thank you for joining us today. We have a great episode. We have a wonderful guest with us, Dr. Julianne Ludlum. Welcome. Thank you. We're going to talk about all things in your mind. No. (laughs) This is actually an intervention, Elizabeth. Perfect day for it. We're going to have a a psychological evaluation performed on you. Live and in studio. I like to be a good podcast, actually. Yes, yes. No, but Julian's here and she's going to talk a little bit about that process of psychological evaluations, a parental alienation, which is a a word to get thrown a lot when you're going through a custody action and gatekeeping. So first and foremost, just go ahead and introduce yourself, Julian. Thank you for being here, first of all. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thrilled to be here. This is super fun. So my name's Julianne Ludlam. I work right now at KKJ Forensic and Psychological Services, and I am a psychologist there and the training director. I am primarily responsible for doing evaluations for all kinds of reasons. So we do them for the court, we do forensic evaluations, and we also do them for diagnostic reasons, psychological evaluations, like if you have a question about what the diagnosis is going on in therapy or something. Today, I think we're talking more about the court ones. Yes, yes. unfortunately. But <laughs> yes, because that's what we have yeah. the most experience with. A lot of my clients will say, oh, she's crazy. And of course, they just throw around the word crazy. Sure. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything clinically or, right. or not. But you those know. can be some of the most intimidating ones, too, for people. Mm-hmm. If you're ordered to get an evaluation, if it's part of your court case, if it's part of a custody case, that can be extremely, I think, nerve-wracking and you're really concerned about what it might show so it's really scary for people yeah elizabeth in your experience what leads up to that court order for an evaluation well i think if you see especially when in a complaint or something there are these allegations of mental health issues are they being diagnosed with like bipolar or narcissism and they're supposed to be on meds but they're not and these are emotional things are coming out that are affecting and what i always say to my clients is i welcome psychological evaluations because when if you do have an issue we need to know about it and figure out how to treat that and if the other party has one then we want to know about that and treat it too because at the end of the day we want two healthy parents right i think of course i'm biased but i think (laughs) they can be super helpful absolutely to the court and to attorneys and to the individuals themselves and our hope is that they can be somewhat therapeutic to the individual mm-hmm. and the family that it's designed to be helped. But still, it comes at a difficult time for people usually. So what's involved? Like when you get a court order, right. we send it to you through the email and then the right. parents set their first appointment. What, what can they expect? That's a great question. So an evaluation usually encompasses several different kinds of activities that we do. And just, I guess, to preface it, we do have a couple, there are a couple types of evaluations, mm-hmm. right? There's a full-on custody evaluation where you're evaluating both parents, all the kids, any other new relationships they have. So if there's a boyfriend or girlfriend mm-hmm. in the picture or a new husband, new wife, all those people. You're also including, you get a lot of information from other people about both of those parties, both the parents and the kids. And so that those are pretty involved, right? Mm-hmm. Those are probably mm-hmm. the you know gold standard, most comprehensive type of evaluation we can do. They're pretty involved and they can take a good amount of time. And they're very expensive. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. I think because they take so much time. Mm-hmm. We look at it as when you've, if you're at the point where you're getting a custody evaluation, you've probably been in the courts for years. Yes. You've got some really entrenched issues and people really need a good sense of what's going on. Now, yes, it takes a lot of time, but I think our hope is that they're worth it. But I think it is a hard thing to decide to do because it is expensive. It is time consuming. Right. Um, 
And I will tell you, I have two orders for custody evaluations right now, and we cannot find anyone who has an opening to do a custody oh, evaluation. Oh, we are, everybody, and right now, I think COVID has made everybody backed mm-hmm. up, both therapists as mm-hmm. well as evaluators. And yeah, we have a wait list right now that is pretty long, right. unfortunately. Um, and they take a long time anyway, right. so yeah. it's frustrating. Right. Right. Um, and scheduling everyone's schedule around it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just on my end, what I see is when people finally get ordered to take a psychological evaluation, say it's not my client, we get the evaluation back there they always are surprised that it's not really profound in a lot of <laughs> well instances. that's the thing like a lot of times it is what people already know they just yeah. want information and more details on it and recommendations right what should right. this person be doing right so we have those custody evals those are really long and like i said expensive we also do individual evals for different reasons mm-hmm. there could be a question about somebody's like you were saying mental health status does somebody have a disorder mm-hmm. do they need to be getting treatment are they taking their meds are and then we also have what are called parental capacity evaluations or an individual evaluation with a parental capacity component. And that's where we're looking at if there are questions about the person's ability to pay the quality of their parenting, potentially abuse allegations. That's when we would do that kind of component. Okay, but you didn't really answer your question, which is what if they're coming in, well, what can happens? I ask a question yeah, really yeah, yeah, quick? Yeah, sure. When you talk about that parental evaluation, capacity, mm-hmm. how do you determine if you know, if they're a good parent or not? No, that's such a good question. Yeah. And it's actually a total area of controversy, right? There's no test. That's going to tell, there's no test for being a parent, right? Right. Mm -hmm. There's no test that's going to tell me whether somebody has the capacity to be be a parent. So there's a lot of research on what you do if, because you can't do one single test or just there's not a clear path. So what we do is we look at multiple things about the person. So we'll look at personality traits that may both facilitate or impede parenting. We'll look at if there are disorders. Are there disorders being managed? Lots of parents have disorders, right? right. Disorders right. are super common, right? Depression is like one of the most common disorders. Anxiety is the most common. So lots of parents struggle with disorders. That doesn't make them bad parents. Right. But is that disorder being managed? How are they managing it? Are they in treatment? Are they doing what they're supposed to be doing to be a good parent? So there's that. We also do what's called collateral interviews for mm-hmm. any evaluation so that we talk with other people who can inform about the parenting. Mm-hmm. So that could be teachers, therapists, psychiatrists, kids, therapists, things like that, mm-hmm. and get some information on how's the parenting going. So we'll talk to different people and that helps as well. Records are often really helpful. Any evaluation is going to include a pretty thorough examination of any records that we can find. So are there court records alleging problems and what can we find out about those problems? Police records, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, mental health records, medical records, all of those can inform us. And the thing about evaluations that I think is probably really important to know is that they don't really rely on any one method. But we do right. testing. That's super important. We do collateral interviews. We do interviews with the with individuals and we get records. It's not any one of those items. They're they're supposed to be what's called multimodal, multi-source, mm-hmm. right? We're trying to gather information from many different sources and combine it together and look at it together really carefully. You're supposed to develop multiple hypotheses about what could be going on. And It's only after getting all the information and weighing it all and putting it together really carefully, getting that reviewed, consulting when necessary. That's where we can make some statements about possible parental capacity. Yeah. And so then we present that, present recommendations. And I think the question of parental capacity is probably not one that should be ours alone as a psychologist. That really, to me, is for the court to decide, for the Mm -hmm. judge to decide. So even though we can make, we can give our opinions, we can give some recommendations. I don't see us as the final say. And I think most evaluators 
feel the same. And I never see a psychological evaluation come into court and by reading it, the judges like absolutely no custody time. Like they're never really that on point of our recommendation is zero contact, zero anything. At least I haven't run into that. I I hear that there's other evaluators or evaluations that have come down to that. But a lot of time it is for the judge to take into consideration. And then like you said before, is this person going to take the steps that the evaluation recommends? That's the biggest thing. I think rarely are cases that simple. Yeah. if that's not, if that's simple, rarely are cases that clear cut. And we know, for example, that there's ample evidence that children generally need both parents in their lives. Right. And so you want to figure out how, even if there are questions about a parent's competence, even when there are issues of abuse, like yeah. children still need contact with both parents, um, according to the research. So moving a, removing a parent from a child's life is really... I got a couple of cases. <laughs> and that's the hu- that's a huge detriment to the, the child. Right. And that's something that's trauma and hard for the child to come back from. That's what I say. They have no con. Even in an abuse situation, the the goal is reunification. Absolutely. You know? And so what you want, as I said before, is two healthy parents. So let's give them the tools to right. figure out how to get there. So right. that's how I sort of position it to, to my clients. Is that what you would Absolutely. say? And I think the custody evaluation or any parental right, evaluation, right. any of those, should provide some suggestions and recommendations for those tools. Mm-hmm. And what would be, again, based on research, based on that comprehensive, what would we um, say would be most helpful to that parent, most helpful to the children? But a psychological, now that I think about it, it seems like a parental, the parental capacity evaluation incorporates a psychological evaluation. Yes, and right? so we think about it as an individual evaluation with a parental capacity component is like what the that. way we think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I will say those individual evaluations, what they aren't, what we aren't able to do in those cases. If you think about it, you've got those individual evals and then you've got custody evaluations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What the individual evaluation cannot do is provide the judge with recommendations on custody. Because if I'm not evaluating everybody in the family, then I can't make recommendations recommendation. about custody, like who should have the kids win, exactly. what the schedule should yeah. be. My clients will read the psychological evaluation of the other parent. And oh, they, all they do is say all this stuff about me. It's not even true. I'm like, yeah. And it, it's noted in here that this is just from based on yeah. their one side, one of, the side of the story. Yeah, and right. the judge has to know that too. And they will know it. Yes. Um, but the point is, at the end, it does make those recommendations. And right. so when they're on the stand and we're talking about the psychological evaluation and the other parent says, look, they didn't say I shouldn't have any visitation or any custody time. Did you? go and make appointments for therapy afterwards? Did you do any of these recommendations? You didn't? Well, that's the biggest issue here. Yeah, that's interesting. It's not this piece of paper that's going to tell us that you shouldn't get custody. That's not what this is for. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it's one of the reasons I love custody evaluations, sometimes more than individual evaluations, because you really do get that comprehensive look and you can say more and you get the big picture of what's going on for everyone. Do you ever, at the end of the evaluation, do you sit down with the party individually and walk through that? We can, right? Most most people don't really want to pay for your time to do that. Understandably, they're done, right? Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're over it. It's very hard, I think. Um, we have had, though, individuals, because some people are willing to and come in and would like to talk with us more about those mm-hmm, recommendations. Mm-hmm. I would say that's pretty rare, unfortunately, because I that's one thing I would enjoy. might be the wrong word, but I think that would be valuable to a person maybe to discuss it. I think those are generally hard. To discuss. Yeah, because I'm sure they're backed up at that point into the wall, like, you yeah. know, not. Yeah, yeah. when you ask maybe. about what people come in and do, what do we do? Mm-hmm. Probably the first thing that we do is interview. The, so let's talk about individual ones, I guess. The first thing we would do with an individual is interview them. Interview. Mm-hmm. Get a sense of their background. We get a sense of the problem, right? Why are you here? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what happened. And we have what we call a semi structured interview that we go through with mm-hmm. people. And it's really where what we tell people is 
we really want to hear your story. This is where this is your opportunity mm -hmm. to tell us and really to then tell the be able to tell the court your side of the story start to finish everything about your history that you think is important. So we start with that and then we do um, some psychological testing, which I think that really makes people really anxious, which is which is tough. And so we try to explain it as much as we can mm -hmm. be as transparent as we can about what the tests are what they're going to show us. And I think one of our goals is to be pretty transparent throughout the whole process. When we interview somebody, I think it's helpful to be upfront about, yes, I'm going to gather all this information. And there are times when I'm going to ask you and challenge you about some of that information, right? So, yeah, you said all these negative things about your partner. Yeah, do you have any evidence of that? Well, can you tell me about that? Do you, you know, Really? Is that what happened? You know, so right, really right, right, questioning right. a little bit. Well, this is what I get all the time is, well, he's very manipulative. He can get around those tests. And I tell him, no, he cannot. Is you know, that true? It's, it's hard. <laughs> it, that's a really good question, too. So when it is, we do, again, it's that multimodal, um, multi-source. We don't do just one right. test. We do multiple mm -hmm. tests. And one of the reasons for that is it's harder to... And one of those Get tests will note the kind of... Um, Whether they're being truthful or... Right. Yeah, yeah. Most of them do. So the MMPI is yeah, one, yeah, yeah. right? And it's, it is one. Most tests have what are called validity mm -hmm. scales. They call it right. So you can... They give you indicators about how, right, how truthful some... And why. People have different... It's not just that people are lying. Yes, there are people who just lie. Well, I think they're just trying to put themselves <laughs> in a good light. Right, they're trying really. to put themselves in a good light. Understandably. Yeah. So understandable and so expected. Other people, it's interesting, don't really know that they're doing that like they actually believe that they are mm. awesome and great is that more concerning so <laughs> it depends on the extent right? right some people can have false or exaggerated beliefs about themselves and it's not you know if, if it's not too bad <laughs> yeah you could some people could have some inflated self-esteem dr sarah over here i'm not a doctor <laughs> i'm like automatic one on tv <laughs> automatic sociopath which you can throw those words around but in my head this is what i think not being truthful at all and if they believe it and that's even more like worrisome but like right. I said, not a doctor of this voice. They are not trained to do this. <laughs> not trained at all. Yeah, so the testing makes people pretty nervous. Again, we try to be super transparent. We try to give, give them breaks, explain what's expected of them. It's still stressful. And we try to talk about that. And then we do those kind of collateral interviews with other sources. And we ask for records from that individual mm -hmm. about what they want to give us. We all ask the attorney for records. Mm -hmm things like that. And then we'll look for more records if we need them. And then we usually end up going back to the person at some point and interviewing them again and saying, hey, we found this. What do you say about this? And then we work on putting that report together and making some conclusions. And if needed, if an attorney subpoenas you to testify in court, is mm -hmm. that part of your practice as well? It is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And judges really depend on you guys because you don't, as I say, you don't have a dog in the fight. Mm -hmm. You really are Im impartial in this. And right. the judges really... Sit back and listen to what you have to say because they don't have that expertise either. It's good to know. I read the research about what judges think about it. And the, yes, they do usually rely quite a bit on them in the research, but it's hard to know when you're on the stand. I think so. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But they do look to the, were there collateral interviews? Because I see some psyche vows and there's absolutely no collateral interviews. And I'm mm. just like, oh, I can't really, how can you trust this? Just this going off this one person's words about what happened. Right, right. right. Yeah. Um, Again, I think you... That's not the way evaluations are supposed to happen. happen. So right. it's supposed to be that multi-source piece that is the, the guidelines for if you're doing it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And not just the favorable collateral. Well, I was going to say, they give you the people they want you to interview, so aren't they setting it up? That's a good point. <laughs> they do give us people. We usually ask for other people who we think would be valuable to. If, for example, we rely a lot on professionals, like right. therapists, psychiatrists, Teacher, um, teachers, yeah, yeah, doctors. Right, right. You know. Yeah, so we will usually ask for collaterals that... Sometimes 
they do or don't want us to talk to. Yep. And for the custody evaluations, do right. you speak with the, the children at all? We do. So a full custody evaluation, we do usually speak with the kids. Young, really young children, we may not. So they may not have, we may just have a quick interview or we may decide that's too tr- stressful for really young children. There's l- not so much information you're going to get. That's a some age. Some You'd be surprised though. Some young kids really do want to have their opinion. Right. I interviewed like a seven-year-old not too long ago. And, and it's interesting sometimes what you learn from that. But you have to, of course, take their information, understanding where it comes from given their age and developmental stage. And can you tell if one's being alienated or coached or... So parental alienation is a huge thing. He throws that word around. I know. Like it's candy. It's, I know. And I could talk for hours about that. So <laughs> don't think, about, think about it, what you want me to ask me. But we, we do have a, a process and a protocol for trying to evaluate parental alienation and other sort of related ideas. Sometimes it does seem pretty obvious, especially with some young kids. They'll be like, yeah, my mom said this. My dad said they're And they, they don't even know what it is that they're showing you, which right. is that... Yeah, mom's mom coached you. It's yeah. obviously, but it's not always that obvious at all. Yeah. And we do have again that protocol to go through and make and uh, judge. It's called a justification analysis protocol mm-hmm. for parental alienation that you go through to help you make decisions or recommendations about whether that's happening or not. Or not. What and, are some clues of parental yeah. alienation? If that is, because I know you called it an idea before. If that's an idea you're trying to show or trying to parental alienation is pretty complex so it's a it's not just one thing right like we, it's but there are lots of ways in which a parent either sort of facilitates a relationship with the other parent or restricts that relationship with the other parent and so again there's a lot of ways they can do that so communication information sharing um, appreciation of the other parent you can collaterals will tell you stuff about that other people the records will often show that text messages mm-hmm. yes. often really you can <laughs> you're, you're, when I, it's not fun to review all those but you you the you way they talk so about the other parent the way, there are a lot of ways in which you can tell is the other parent sharing information that they should be sharing is the other parent flexible with the schedule when needed or are they rigidly adhering to the the custody schedule right there and are they restricting access and why mm-hmm. and i and some parents don't really realize, I think, that they're doing that kind of alien, what we would call alienation. alienation. They don't. I don't think they always know. I think they feel quite justified in what they're doing. Yes. That's a big red flag to me. If it has to be 50-50 by the minute, and they won't give up any time. That tells me, That says something to me. But what does it? But what's the point of it all? So these people cannot co-parent together. So yeah. then what? Then you get your child <laughs> stuck in the middle. That's. The, but can well, you understand how, as a single, but as a divorced mom. <laughs> It's really hard sometimes to be nice. <laughs> you have a new boyfriend? Sorry. <laughs> Me and Sarah both got caught up on the not single part. We were like, wait Sorry. a minute. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> let's say I'm, divor- I'm divorced, you know. And it's really, I try really hard. And I think I do a good job, but I know that I do some passive aggressive. <laughs> I think it's got to be so hard for these parents. And I really sympathize. You, there's so much, if you have divorce, there's so much anger, resentment. Sadness, but so it's everything. It's just everything, and it's so your interactions are so loaded. I do sympathize. I think that's where a parent really may need some guidance about working on themselves right. and really rethinking you know, their approach and what's important, and trying to keep the kid at the center. Yeah. Really think about that's so harmful to your kid is to put them in the middle of that, have them experience you talking poorly about or seeing or hearing or getting right, right. Hint that you like you don't think they see or hear but there's right you know, of course they, they do. do you know kids yeah. are super smart yeah. and they pay attention to everything and right i think but it's, you know, it's like some simple. parents it's so bad that they honestly do not put their do not see the kid as any part of this 
It's just completely like selfish and geared straight towards her ex. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. And I, I think that anger really can take over, right? Yes. Your, your hurt feelings and your anger and your resentment about whatever happens can just really cloud your mind and your judgment. And I get it, but, but <laughs> you know, you can't. That's yeah. not but, I mean, a lot of times it comes with one parent really does shoulder the burden of it. And so, and so I don't think it. it's more of frustration as here I am doing all this, and yet I still have to include you, or you get 50% time, but I'm carrying 90% of the load. And yeah, and I think that that has disproportionately fallen on women in a lot of the right. cases. And, and what we also see, though, is a husband or an ex-husband having to step up and do right. his 50%, which is sometimes mm-hmm. difficult. And sometimes the other spouse, ex-spouse, won't make right. that easy it, on it, them. Yeah, won't right. allow them to do that. Either way. But I will say, we always give kudos to, and this is probably very, I shouldn't say this, Kudos to dads when they do something that's just normal for mom. Oh, oh he yeah. made dinner. Or, it's true. You know, or he kept it for the afternoon. You're not a hero. You're not yeah. a hero. You're, oh. a You're a parent. You're a dad. Yeah. It's like when they say daddy, daddy's babysitting. Like, they're not babysitting. They're watching. That's right. Yeah. I see married couples refer to that and i'm just like that's weird i'm sorry no it's so this is coming it is a therapy session about me (laughs) that actually brought up a meme that i saw the other day we've talked about social media on here before that said why and i would never thought about it this way but it's like why do we call it that girls have daddy issues whenever it's the dad's fault that there might be a break in that relationship or everything but we always label the female as being crazy as i mentioned earlier and having daddy issues whenever it's the dad's fault for whatever the failing in that relationship. And I was like, such a good point. I'm sure a man came up with that. (laughs) She's crazy. She got that. It's interesting that you say that because one of the big things about parental alienation that always bugs me is the guy that who created the term, he actually coined the term parental alienation. Of course it's a guy. Of course it's a guy. Yes. Of course it's a guy. (laughs) And he he came up with this term called parental alienation. It's syndrome. It's not a syndrome, right? There's no research showing it's syndrome. Right. But the guy who came up with it in like the 80s, Richard Gardner, he was a psychiatrist. He based it on nothing, really. Authored like his own 250 books or something. You don't really know the story. It's hideous. And what's worse is that, so it's not peer reviewed. It's just based on his own clinical experience. It was, he said it was always mothers. Mm-hmm. 90% mm-hmm. of the time he said it was mothers basically brainwashing. Their, it was actually raised in the Woody Allen, Mia Farrow case. Uh, that the parental alienation mm-hmm. syndrome because she was accusing right. Woody Allen of abuse that. and his attorney made a big deal about the parental alienation syndrome because he said Mia was brainwashing the kids. Yeah. So that's even come out. I was fascinated to watch that uh, Netflix series. Well, oh, I need to watch that. Yeah, I didn't mm-hmm. know. It was for me. It was super fascinating because they yeah. did the whole court uh, case, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. But the guy, he's worse. The guy, Richard Gardner was even worse. So he had horrible views on women and pedophilia and child abuse. So he believed that pedophilia, which to him he defined as husbands having sex, like sexual abuse of their daughters, all very gendered. He said he really normalized that and said it was only a problem because of how society viewed it. And so he thought it wasn't really harmful and it was like normal behavior. And he said if a husband did turn to a daughter for that, it was the it's wife's fault. fault. It was yeah. the wife's fault because she wasn't giving oh it. Right? Uh, and he didn't even feel m- m- men who had sexually abused their kids, daughters, of course, they didn't really talk right, about the right. other way. Yeah. They didn't, there was, shouldn't really be any consequences because, again, it was this pretty normal. normal. This guy's yeah, insane. Just, exactly. So this is why, like, that the idea of parental alienation to me, today we think about it very differently and researchers have worked really hard to distance from that yeah. and come up with different ideas about it. But that term is really based in some pretty misogynistic uh, yeah. women 
hating and not really child focused, obviously. Yeah. But it is a real, I know it's not a syndrome, but it is a thing. We think we're not going to get rid of the term parental alienation. I don't think. It's just so, stuck. Not it's totally stuck. It's more like a verb than an actual, like. Yeah, that you're alienated from. Yes. I think that exists. Researchers have tried to t- really more operationalize it, like parental alienating behaviors. Right. What are the behaviors? Right, right, right. So we, that's how we look at it. They come up with other terms like resist, refuse dynamics when a kid doesn't want to go with their parent or parent-child contact. They just don't <laughs> stick like parental alienation. <laughs> Everybody roll gets the tongue, like, yeah. No, they don't yeah. roll off the tongue. Everybody gets the idea of parental alienation. Right? This so, reminds me of a case I had where the mom had severe cognitive issues. She has her own situation going on with, and she didn't get help for any of it. And then the daughter has cognitive issues as well. And and I learned all this from a CPS doing an evaluation on the child. But what brought that to happen was like a religious school kind of thing at a woman's house reported that there was abuse from the dad. And immediately like they stopped contact with the dad and mom wouldn't let him see her, filed all this stuff. He didn't have representation, totally got defeated. By the time I got involved in the case, it was just so hard to get in contact with mom. Finally got the CPS records and they had severe issues with mom and the daughter just having these psychological issues. And you could say easily like this is parental alienation, but it's so much more. Yeah, right. It's so much more than that. Honestly, you guys really, that's so great because really these Cases are usually super complicated. complicated. It's not just alienation. Mm-hmm. It's not that simple. I'm not sure she even had the cognitive ability to yeah. know that this was this is the purpose. There are so many other dynamics and, and power plays in it. Yeah. And ultimately, the child suffers. The poor dad still doesn't have a relationship with his daughter. But. And I think what's super complex is you can have abuse mm-hmm. and alienation, right? So right. these things don't have to be, they're not mutually exclusive. Can have, right. and, and they can be different degrees of each one. Uh, it's not as simple as oh, there's alienation, there must be no abuse. Or there's abuse, so there's no, it, it's just not that simple, right. unfortunately. But in court, you try to, some people try to make it very simple. Of course. Especially if you only have limited amount of money to get right. a doctor, psychological yeah. evaluation, all this involved, and you only have five hours to put your case on. Yeah. So that's very, very unfortunate because we're trying to make big decisions. Yeah. Like that case I just talked about before I got involved, if only there were more people involved to really help individual people in that case but the family court's just not set up to do that unfortunately what i always think about custody evals is that i wish they would happen earlier for the family rather than years down the road when, when they're so entrenched when they're so entrenched, entrenched. They, they haven't been able to figure it'd be nice if somebody could do that earlier but generally my is the order and if you've asked for it then you're going to pay for it they're not going to make the other parent pay for it for the most part that's mm-hmm. why i think they find them incredibly helpful i don't know if it takes some of the pressure off of them a little bit you know well the judge isn't sitting there for as long as you sit there right. and interview everyone how could there's no they way could. right that, that's impossible and that's no. the whole point we can't bring those 20 people in because we ain't got time to do it but you have the time to do it right. and then you can give a synopsis of what that is right. yeah so i think they're incredibly helpful yeah good <laughs> you yeah. know because sometimes i want to advocate for my client but i always but the best interest of the child is really important to me. So you may think you're the best parent in the world when really <laughs> you're not. Right. And right. so I, it's helpful to for them maybe yeah. to hear that and see that. Yeah. And we get played. Oh, man. Are you My kidding? clients will play me. I'll be like, he's good. He's great. 
or whoever. And then like I see stuff from the other side, I'm like, damn. <laughs> yeah, people are, can be really good at it. That's why Does I also this happen? individual psych evals can be frustrating because you're like, how am I getting fired? And then you hear something later from the other side right. of the attorney and they're and you're like, oh. I'm, not gonna, I'm never going to ask for a psychological eval again. <laughs> Just on its own. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to answer the question. Well, it answers some questions. I, I, but those I, questions I mean, can be answered other ways and still help with the custody. It doesn't help with the custody piece. It well, right. It doesn't, help with, right. it doesn't help with determining if you want custody recommendations. But if you need to know, is somebody managing their disorder enough? Is some, somebody, is there, are they completely impaired the way they're, that person's other person's claiming they'll do that there there are reasons but yeah i hear you You i like custody ones too (laughs) hey guys it's jen with new direction family law let's face it divorce affects a lot of people myself included i've been there there's no easy way around it it just sucks but determining the finances of one household splitting into two can be one of the most stressful issues of divorce will alimony or child support have to be paid who gets the house and the cards who has to pay all the credit card debt or any other debt do i get to keep all of my retirement These are all important questions that you need answered going into a divorce. And it's so important that you're represented by an experienced family law attorney that can answer these questions for you and help you develop a plan specifically for you and your situation to move forward. New Direction Family Law has over 30 years experience protecting the rights of our clients when going through divorce. We aggressively advocate, support, and educate our clients to achieve the best possible outcomes. So give us a call today to schedule an initial consultation at 919-719-3470 or reach out to us via our website at newdirectionfamilylaw.com. The judges typically on their own accord will order a psychological evaluation if there's any allegations of someone being not treating their mental health issues. And that's what I tell parents all the time. Like you said, everybody has mental health issues. If you're not (laughs) treating them, then that's where the problem is. That's the problem. Right, right. I always think everybody's got something. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got something. We all got stuff. (laughs) I got lots of (laughs) something. Some people have more than others. I don't know if it's you. I don't know. Me, I'm like, no. But that, I'm like, obviously, like, narcissistic over here. Like, absolutely perfect. Right. No, everyone definitely has something. And, something. and especially that's why whenever anyone pushes back on me when I ask them, please go get some help. And it's not like you need help for like you're crazy. It could just be even circumstantial Absolutely. depression right. Right. and or anxiety issues or just you're going through this is trauma. You need to talk to someone. It's really so helpful. Like, you know, we there's been times in my that. life where I, I yeah. reached out and, and got, yeah. you know, counseling yeah. for, and it just for a month or two. And, and man, it makes you yeah. move past whatever you've been going with. And it's so helpful. Yeah. It's scary though. It's scary. I think to admit that there might be some way you might need help. I don't like, I don't like to get help from anybody either. Like right. here I am a psychologist and I still mm-hmm. don't like, no, right. I, don't want, I don't need anybody's help. I'm good. No. I can do it all by myself. Right. But it's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to admit that you might need somebody's assistance. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I get that. So and it doesn't even be looked at help. Just someone to talk to and so stress. help you with the stress and just a big decision. I feel like people need more help with their big decisions sometimes. They do. And I do. I don't think that they can help them make a plan. And six months down the road, you think about separating. Who's going to let's figure out a plan. I yeah. can't do that for you, but go. See, see like yesterday when someone came in her office and just wanted to talk about whether or not she should reconcile with her husband. I'm like, are you coming here? <laughs> <laughs> For to my Sarah, advice, does Sarah think? <laughs> like, leave his ass. <laughs> but, and I always tell them, like, please, I appreciate you coming here. This is my advice. This is my legal, legal advice surrounding your situation and thinking about the scenarios that would happen if you did reconcile, or this is the plan for not reconciliation and moving forward without them. 
But what I can tell you is I really need you to go see a counselor to make these decisions because you're listening to your mother, you're listening to his friends. Don't listen to those people. Like those are not proper third parties to really work through this because they're not living your life. They're not the one that's going to reconcile with him. I think go go to counseling and and talk it out. It's great to talk to friends. It can be great to get information from other Mm -hmm. people, but you're right. There's something about a therapy relationship that is supposed to be unique and super therapeutic (laughs) and super helpful. Like it's a person who is supposed to be neutral and objective about this and to help you think about what's best for you. Talk about what other people have told you and think about if that makes sense. So once you do, when you do the evaluation and the children's custody evaluation and you find that there are issues, the children have mental health issues or something. Yeah. Do you then talk to the parents about that or not? We Yeah, so in that interview process, because it's, it's actually not just like one interview, this is several, right? right? We often in these custody cases, the kids do have some kind of mental health mm-hmm. issues, whether that is related to the divorce or not, right? right? That there could be, again, lots of kids have mental health issues anyway, but it could have been caught some of the, sometimes that stress and that anxiety that's been going on in that family for so long is really hard for kids and it's been causing the kid to be very stressed and potentially have a disorder. So we do get information from the parents on what they think is going on with their kids. That's part of, we do actually a whole parenting interview in a custody evaluation mm-hmm. for each parent, get a lot of detail on each kid. And we will talk with them about what kind of treatment their child has had, what they think is going on, how what steps they've taken if there are problems, what have been the barriers to helping the kid. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we do a lot of interviews around getting that information. With the kid, we will ask, absolutely, with a child, we'll ask what's, hap- what's going on for them. We'll ask about their feelings. We'll ask about their symptoms. Well, we don't use that word. Right, maybe, right. But, yeah. but we'll ask age appropriately mm-hmm. about what's going on for the child. And a lot of kids are such an open book. Not always. Obviously, yeah. some kids can be really nervous and closed down. But for the most part, child interviews can be really helpful because you really do find out a lot of information. It's like the kid who goes to school and tells on their parents or whatever. <laughs> yes. Kids tell yeah. you all kinds of things. And teenagers, too, are very helpful. I was in, recently in court, and one parent was saying, she comes back from dad's and she's all anxiety. She's sewing up. She can't sleep. Dad's it. no one. Because she comes to my house. I, that's how she is because she doesn't. she's been with mom. And the judge can't hear what the child said because right. it's hearsay, right. and so it just got ignored because the judge couldn't make couldn't decide who was telling the truth. But so you can. Then that that would be what we would shoot to figure out. Right. Like those are often the cases. My child comes back and they're devastated after exactly. they get back. They're so depressed when they get back from dad's or whatever. Their problems are worse. And so we that's an allegation, and we will absolutely look into that very carefully. We'll talk kid there but the, each parent about mm-hmm, their mm-hmm. perspectives and records and see what we can find out so do you look at the pleadings and look at the allegations yes. within it and then ask questions about absolutely that? That's yeah absolutely. how long does this process take i know <laughs> it can probably i know uh, yeah no no it varies but yes. it does take so again if we're talking about the custody of i would say the shortest you're probably looking at is about three months okay okay which is a long time it's good to know because i'm like i got a case in september but it's two oh months away yeah now i have be set out a year so we're I, good. Have, yeah. I have been able to do them in two but that's, that's tough. It, yeah. That's tough. Yeah. And you want to make sure, again, that you're doing a really right. comprehensive job right, and you're exactly. covering all the bases. You don't want to rush through it. On the other hand, I know everybody wants the decision and they want that information, but it is an extremely time-consuming process. And I'll tell you something, too, that if you, when you get it back and there are recommendations in there, it can be very helpful to, we, let's don't go to court or let's try to, <laughs> let's try to settle this. Right. And so that in itself is helpful. Right. Then they don't not have to put to that family time. through right. that trauma of going through a three or four day trial. Things are always so much worse after trial. Like uh, I had a trial last week and it was a lot of family members because I represent, you know, grandparents and you can just see the family dynamic just explode in front of you of just, 
how much, how toxic everything oh, is, is, all these relationships. And then I know when they leave there, things are going to be even worse. worse. Yeah. With having to communicate with each other and communicate with both the, the biological parents right. and the yeah. kids are going to be involved. I just know they are. And they're going to yeah, hear stuff. Right. And I just, it, it sucks. No, it I know how stressful trials are. And I, I know how stressful the evaluation is. Yeah. But I, I do I imagine that trials is for a family. Just got to be. Because you're getting awful. up there and you're talking. Crap. What do you I mean? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. If they have a parent coordinator, is that somebody that you would also talk to? Totally. Parent coordinators, <laughs> co-parenting counselors, uh, guardian and items. I'm trying to think child advocates. What do you think? Could I, we're off topic a little bit. What okay. do you think about child advocates? A child advocate where a guardian and litem looks at what the best interest of the child is and reports right. to the court. The child's advocate represents the child and they don't really care about best interest. Their job is to get the child wishes across to the court correct correct that's okay. my understanding I, right you're kind of getting that's into right. a legal no, piece it, here which is not my forte. but, it is, but yeah. i think it is interesting and just from talking to the child they will often say and remind me of their role oh. which is really interesting to me i, mean, I know but uh, it's helpful uh, the reminders it's helpful because to know that they're coming at it from whatever that kid tells me that's what I'm, that's my the job. So they advocate for it. Right, yeah. Right. And I can see a value in that. I think it makes me a little curious and, and concerned a little bit about some kids, depending on their developmental stage, like how do they know what's best for them? I wouldn't do it for a young child, but I have right. had but it teenagers, for, right? Yeah. And even a young, like middle schooler, she really blossomed under that relationship, yeah, so you know, see, and yeah. felt supported and felt like she had a voice. Yes. But, but plus she was mature and developmentally yeah. able to, to express what she yeah. wanted. So that's what I wonder is like. If Not that had, it's just more fun at dad. She really had a reason of why. Yeah. You know? And see, that's that to me was a very good use of that. Absolutely. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I think right, obviously they serve a really good purpose at times. I just wonder about the, yeah, do they all have that developmental right, capability right, right. going on? I would think that most child advocates would be able to but it gets gauge it, but that. It, it, right. And, it's, and even, the judge if, would be able to also. Yeah, and even if they were testifying, in, if the child was test, testifying, they may, they'd may say the same thing, but it gives the child a voice without having to go to court. Right. To court, yes. Right. I see that. Yeah, but yeah. they don't come in there and say the child said this and didn't say that. Get involved mm-hmm. in what the parents say that the kids said. No. I think it depends also on the child's advocate, the actual person that's doing that role. Absolutely. I've only had a couple of cases with them, but they've both been very extremely different in how they handled that role. One's like, I'll just say that he wants to live with mom, and that's all I'm going to say. I'm like, okay. And the other one acted like a mediator of the case the whole time and really got involved with, like, decisions and day-to-day stuff. No, 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 no. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's that's where I think uh, those roles, to me, are a little ill-defined for me as a psychologist. I I don't know that I... I even asked the court and for the TCA, please provide me some guidelines about this role, and no one could. So that's when I'm kind of on the other side of the fence where I don't particularly like them because it's not defined, and I don't want someone coming in this case and kind of i don't know what their role is in here and all of a sudden right. you're it's not clear no but no, I, I like well, not in every there's i've only used one twice i think yeah and it's just a particular case and in fact some circumstances but yeah so. the custody evaluation sounds great and i would i need to take advantage of that when i have clients that can afford it and yeah, do it yeah. and i'm definitely well doing the parental evaluation i'm gonna start asking for those yeah and i think it's something you have to specify in the mm-hmm. order so that so that we have the capacity to do it. What you need to do. And right. that's what we put in custody, or I put in custody evaluations or things we want you 
to look. So you have an order that yeah. said, not oh, that yeah. you have to do no, only it's that. It's so but. helpful to have referral questions in the order. Mm-hmm. What do you want to know? Because right. then we can, otherwise we'll do what we think. You exactly. know, and, and, and the standard, we would do the standard questions that right. we would ask in right. those right. evaluations. But you're right, it helpful. it's so much more helpful to have what people sort really want to know. Sort of a guideline and a roadmap. Yeah. What are you looking for? Yeah. What do you want to know? What would be helpful to come? Jen. <laughs> oh, sorry, Jen. <laughs> you guys can't see me everywhere. I always raise my hand whenever <laughs> I have a question. So actually had this conversation this past weekend it came up and then we get piece or potential client calls and people will say this and ask this and of course i can't answer it is there ever a time and this is for you too julian that either you recommend or prefer or is a good fit for a child to advocate for themselves like in custody or to say i'd rather live right. here or mom and because that gets asked probably more times than i can i like to avoid call, it but at all costs I guess yeah. a lot of times it's how old does a kid have to be well, to that's testify? What, yeah, I get that question on time. And the, the rule is of suitable age and discretion, which means squat, nothing. Yeah. And I'll tell you, and then go back in the courtroom, court in chambers with the judge. And the judge can listen to them, but the judge is not bound to do what that child tells them to do. And, he, and the judge will come back and won't tell you what the child said, what I think is an awful issue if there's an appeal, because he's making his decision on something that nobody heard. Knows what was said. What was said. I don't and, like it. And, and I've had judges say to me or to the other attorney, yes, this child can testify or I can talk to him, but it's going to reflect poorly on your client, Ms. Mm-hmm. Stevenson. <laughs> and you look at your client and withdraw that, Your Honor. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, that's where I think a custody evaluation would be ideal uh, because yeah. you'd have somebody who is a professional who you know could evaluate what the child said, also taking into account their age, their development Absolutely. stage, the problems they're going through, the stresses. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that to me is ideal. And then they can provide that information to the judge, to the court. That's... Know your judge, and I, our judges have changed, changed so much recently, but there was one hey, in particular right. before where, I mean, she hated any involvement of the kids. And I remember the other side showed a video that one of the kids took of my client, and yeah, it looked real bad on my client, but <laughs> the judge also turned around Tried and said, how dare you, you ask your child to record her time with her father yeah. and get the, them involved. Right. This is, that's a type of alienating behavior. Exactly. You're asking a child to spy or it, it does. Or you're, or and that was a huge allegation in that case mm-hmm. we used against right. the mom. It, that it was parental alienation. Or you're videotaping a bad... <laughs> she uses a term like, I, I didn't mean to say parental alienation was all bad. No, it's that syndrome. Don't say syndrome. Don't yeah. Say no, <laughs> it's not a syndrome. But parental alienation, no. That's yeah. a, that's I mean, that makes all kinds messed up, man. And the kids mm. were getting older, and it's, what can you even do? And I think the judge was at that point, what can, can I, I do? do? Right. And it's just a really crappy situation. And well, you should have nipped a lot of things in the butt like a long time ago. And here happen. we are in our philosophy. And there are interventions, but it is it can be hard. There can you can need a lot of interventions for a family so, like at that point. Can I ask your mm-hmm. opinion on reunification? Because mm-hmm. I've just all my cases where there's been reunification therapy ordered, it's not gone well. Gone well at all. <laughs> so a couple of things I think. So reunification therapy can be really valuable, but I think you really have to consider the order of interventions and the types of interventions that you have. So for example, if there's a family that has struggled a lot, that's almost, it's like there's been trauma potentially in the family, which I think in these cases, these high conflict cases, we're often talking about there's significant trauma for different families for different reasons. We Mm -hmm. might have a mom who had trauma growing up or one of the adults have had trauma in their lives. The kids have had trauma potentially, right? If that is not managed before reunification therapy, it, it can be a real obstacle to mm-hmm. any kind of family intervention because 
it, unless you work on some of the stuff first, gets got in the way there. that got yeah, you there, yeah. it's going to be real hard to do uni- reunification therapy. That's the other, that's what you were talking about, the child's advocate for reunification therapy. What the hell does that mean? Yeah. I know, sometimes they should push nothing. them together. In three, oh. after three sessions, sessions of reunification, we're going to meet get, with the dad. They and get an overnight. overnight. And I'm just like, how can you do that? They're like, this is not something you can plan for like that. You don't know how long it's going to take for this relationship to mend. That That's not a recommendation I would make. That's not the way I would structure it. But the order is the that's judge the makes it and says, and oh. the reunification based on the recommendations of the therapist. By six months, the child is moved primarily back into mom's house, right. even yeah. though they're terrified of mom. mom. Any interventions that you do, there's research showing that you should expect to see some changes within about six months, but but to have a whole step. But you anyways, know, this people, is what we deal with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I know we're, it's like we have to wrap, but I have one more question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. So when courts may make an order and recommend people to do this or do that or go to therapy, they're coming to you already all pissed off yes. and resistant, <laughs> yes. right? Yeah. So my thoughts are if you're going to go to to do something that's an intervention or to help you, you have to be open to doing that. So how do you get people past that? I will say in the beginning of the evaluation, we do a lot of work always to bring people down, like calm down. And, right. and, and, and understandably, like you said, they come in, they're really frustrated, they're really upset. So even in the evaluation itself, we are trying to help people manage their emotions and trying to reassure them that this process is not designed just to be punitive. Um, punitive, right. exactly. Thank you. It's not designed to be that. It is designed to be helpful, even though it may not feel like that the whole time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. And then I think it is hard. So you're talking about when they finally go to whatever you're recommending. Yeah, exactly. That I think can be tough. And that I think is where you need some really quality professionals, number one. And I do think that those recommendations from a custody need to include an order what needs to happen first, second, third. So if we're going to say, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Recommendations are pretty important and they should say something like, hey, trauma-focused therapy needs to happen first. The kid needs to have this first. Dad needs to do this first before right, reunification right. therapy. And then the quality of the therapy. Yeah. I, that's, right. Which is what you're here for mm-hmm. in a quality therapy provider. And so anyone listening out there who uh, has their own case, not with Elizabeth and I, please reach out to Julianne and the practice. And we'll leave that information up for them. Yeah. And on. the practice has some wonderful therapists. Oh, my yes. God. Y'all, I love KJ. You're always They're first fantastic. So I don't even do, list. just so you know, I don't do therapy. I only do, I really focus on evaluations yeah. because I'm really <laughs> passionate about it. And I, I think they're both fascinating. And I think they really can be therapeutic and helpful. But I think there we have at our practice some amazing clinicians yeah, so yes, I can't exactly. say enough good things about them. so much for being Thank here you. today it's, it's been a pleasure really I learned a lot today yes and, and I think if you're in a case where it's ordered that you get a psychological evaluation you know, don't be too scared about oh. it go into it be open and you know, you'll find a lot about yourself and how to better help your family right and go out there and find counseling if you think you need it or going through a divorce or separation always recommended you know it's like jimmy buffett said if we weren't all crazy we'd all go insane like we are all a little (laughs) crazy crazy. help yourself out there and of (laughs) course thanks for joining us and ain't that some (laughs) (laughs) thanks for listening this episode is complete Visit NewDirectionFamilyLaw.com for show notes and resources and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for more resources and information. And remember, with change comes empowerment.